Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to be here. It's been a while, uh, having had to isolate for two weeks, which is a bit of a pain. But um, my name's Gareth, Gareth Davis, and I've been asked to take us through Psalm 1 this morning. So before I start, though, I thought I'd ask uh, you a question. What, what makes you happy? Do you know what makes you happy? And do you make choices in your life that are based on what makes you happy. Now, I suspect that you do, because it's generally accepted that everyone's life is shaped by what makes them happy. Now, I found a quote from Blaise Pascal. He's a, a famous French mathematician from the 17th century, and he wrote this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Strong words, but is, is he right? Do we really make our choices based on what we think will make us happy, even if we're completely wrong? Well, more, more recently, happiness has become uh, mainstream in some social sciences. Even economists are getting in on the Happiness Act. My son brought home a book recently. It's by a guy called Richard Easterlin. He's the so-called father of happiness economics. And did you know that it, that was even a thing? But it is. And his book is imaginatively entitled An Economist Lessons on Happiness, if you're interested. So happiness, in case you haven't noticed, is uh, an industry these days. It's generated endless advice and books on how to be happy and live a happy life. And well-being and happiness is a staple of, of my own company, well, my own company, the company I work for, it's a staple of their internal communications. So one article <clears throat> starts this way. Time and time again, scientific studies have shown us that if we do the following five things listed below, happiness will increase. So uh, we're, we're a civil engineering company and, and we're advising our employers on happiness. Yes, we are. So it seems that Blaise Pascal may have been right. Psychologists, economists, happiness gurus, even Mott MacDonald have caught up with him. We all want to be happy and the world has plenty of advice on, on the subject. So we could call that advice the way of the world, the world's view on how to be happy. Now, our psalmist here also has something to say about happiness because the first word in the psalm is happy. Now, the Hebrew word um, that's translated blessed here in your versions is, in fact, a word meaning happy. There's another Hebrew word which is generally used for the more religious English word blessed. So the psalmist here is simply telling us how we can be happy in this world. Happy is the man who... Dot, dot, dot. Now, Psalm 1 is uh, an introduction to the book of Psalms, a preface, if you will, and it sets out the basic choices for a happy life. Other Psalms will explore this theme. Psalm 1 then gives us a choice with respect to happiness. The way of the world or the way of the Lord. So let's jump in. 
The first choice that he mentions is what we do or what we don't do. It's the choice, it's the way of the world, and the choice is that the man avoids the way of the world. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, it could be easy to, to move quickly over this verse and onto something a little more positive. We probably think that we hardly likely, uh, hardly like to fall into these patterns of thinking or behaving or belonging, but perhaps we should examine them a little bit more carefully. First, the area of thought. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, who are these wicked people? Often we think of wicked people as those who do like really bad things, uh, you know, the Hitlers, the, the Bin Ladens, uh, mass murderers, I don't know, James Bond villains, people we might read about, but not people we actually meet or, or see or come across in real life. We might disagree with people, we might disagree with advice that we get from, from columnists, social media influencers or editors of magazines, but are they wicked? Would we call them wicked? What about people we work with, people we meet on a daily basis? Would we call them wicked? Well, we wouldn't, would we? But if we think of the wicked as the worst of all people, then it's true there's not much of a challenge in this verse. There's little danger of us following the advice of Mein Kampf, is there? But the wicked here actually refers to the ungodly, those who do not seek God. And who, as in Psalm verse 4.10, the psalmist says in verse 4 of chapter 10, says, these are people who in all their thoughts have no room for God. That's the biblical definition of the wicked. In the Bible, then, the wicked are those who have no room for God in their thinking. And we could describe counsel from such people as worldly thinking or, or the way of the world. Advice on how to live, how to live life apart from God, from people who, in all their thoughts, have no room for God. And this probably describes a good number of columnists, commentators, writers, happiness gurus, and yes, colleagues, even people we know. So we need to be careful then who we listen to, especially with regards to advice on what will make us happy. Now, we, we know this, of course, uh, but we need to be on our guard as we're constantly bombarded by ideas of what will make us happy. I've got a list here, and I'm sure you've got your own list of what that might be. It might be more money, a better house, a nicer car, a holiday. If you're single, you might be looking for a wife or a husband. If you're married, you might be looking for a different wife or husband. But happiness is maybe being fitter, slimmer, younger. The advice from my company was a little less hedonistic, you'll be pleased to know, and revolved around living in the moment, um, but also investing in relationships and in giving. Well, my company wasn't going to be giving me a pay rise, was it, to afford a new car and a new house? So some of you will, will some of these things will certainly make us more comfortable, probably make us feel better about ourselves for a while, but ultimately, none of these things will ensure that we're happy, if only because when we get what we want, we think we need something else or something more. So the psalmist says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
Our thought life is the first line of defense against the way of the world. And we need to be vigilant that we don't start thinking that what the world offers will make us happy. Because then there's the second area, which is the area of behavior. Happy is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Well, who are these sinners? Well, these are people that do not live according to the pattern that God has set for, out for us. Sinners stray over the boundaries that God has fixed. Basically, they live life as they see fit. And if our thoughts are influenced by the world, it's likely that our behavior will start looking like that of the world too. And if we think happiness can be found in the ways of the world, well, we'll start doing what ungodly people do and start looking like those sinners who take no notice of what God asks us to do. So are we standing in the way of the world? Are we standing in the way of sinners? Are we on the same road as these people? What about the third point then that we need to consider about happiness? The psalmist says, happy is the man who does not sit in the seat of mockers. Where are we comfortable? The psalmist says that mocking is, is a sign of pride. Thinking that others are better than, that we're better than others. Mockers are often seen as witty or clever, but mockery can be destructive and negative. And at worst, mockers are sneer, sneering at God and at his church. Consider the mockery that Jesus endured on the cross by the people of his day. The question is whether we're at home with these people, these clever people, these mockers. And the psalmist, however, says that we must not sit with people who sneer at God if we want to be happy. So here the psalmist sets out three, three degrees of departure from God, three ways of conforming to the way of the world, accepting its advice, being party to its ways, and adopting the most fatal of its attitudes, mockery. Because although mockery is not a really scandalous sin, mockers are the furthest from repentance. No, the happy man will not choose those ways. So having closed that off, the, the, the psalmist moves on to, to verse 2. The second choice is whether, whether we take the way of the Lord. As he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, the law of the Lord here is, is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. But more widely, the law of the Lord includes any instructions or, or teachings from the Lord. So we could extend this, this, this to the law of the Lord to, to cover the whole of Scripture or the Bible, God's word to us. So in that case, the psalmist says that happiness is reserved for those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate it, meditate on it day and night. Now you might ask, how, how can we delight in the law of the Lord? How can we command somebody to delight in something? You can't just manufacture delight. Well, that's right, you can't. And if you look carefully, the psalmist isn't telling us that we have to delight in the law of the Lord. He's noting that this is a mark of the happy man. The happy man is somebody who delights in the law of the Lord. He just does. Someone who delights in God's word is a happy person. So why would that be? Why would that be a mark of a happy person? Well, consider 
Uh, man's been created by God. He's been made for a relationship with God. And God's provided a way for us to meet with him and to have that relationship with him. And that way is through, through his word, through scripture. So surely in that case, it would be sensible, it would be normal, wouldn't it, that it would be a delight to read scripture and to meet with the living God. So how would we get there? How, how do we get there? What's, what's the advice of the psalmist on being able to delight in Scripture? Well, the answer is that the, the happy man delights in Scripture through his meditation of it. On his law, he meditates day and night. Now, meditating here is, is reflecting, it's considering, pondering. It means to, to mull over something. That's the action that the psalmist is recommending here. It's through meditating on the goodness of creation. Maybe it's thinking about how we came to be alienated from God. Maybe it's, it's mulling over the promises that God made to his people, Israel. Perhaps it's thinking more about the deliverance of his people through the Passover. Maybe it's thinking about God's law and his plan for all peoples. It's pondering these things in the Torah and then seeing them work out in the person of Jesus, God's son, that that will shape our thinking and our actions and we'll come to meet with God. Why wouldn't we, not, why wouldn't we delight in looking into these things? Now, some of you will, will have read Jim Packer. He was a, a great Christian writer, 70s and 80s probably. And what he wrote in a book called God Has Spoken is this. He says, what brings joy is finding God's way, God's grace, and God's fellowship through the Bible. It's the deep contentment that comes of communing with the living Lord into whose presence the Bible takes us. Into whose presence the Bible takes us. He's surely right. As we meditate on God's word, we come into the presence of the living Lord. Now, that's a high view of Scripture and one we need to remember when we open our Bibles. And if you think, though, that, that meditating is something for studious folks, uh, people who might be a little bit quiet, well, remember God's advice to Joshua, the man of action, who as a young man was a spy and later became a leader, a war leader. So in Joshua 1.8, we read that he was told, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. So this, this meditation on the law of the Lord is a vital source of counsel to all, including the man of action, if you want to be happy. So keeping the, law, the word of the Lord before us during the day and in the context of this, context of this passage is the only defense against the counsel of the wicked. We neglect the meditation of the law of the Lord at our risk and peril, for we won't be happy without it. But in case you're not really convinced that um, we need to make this choice between the way of the world or the way of the Lord, the psalmist proceeds to set out the destination of both ways. He's going to tell us where we, where which, which way ends up. Now, last week, I don't know if you were here last week, I wasn't, but I listened to it, James explained how temptation works. He said that the devil tempts us to a course of action that takes us off God's highway. How? Well, he does it by deceitfully concealing the end of that road. 
and he lures us off with promises of pleasure, of satisfaction, of happiness. Not so with the Lord. The Lord is like a good highway engineer. He provides clear signing of the way ahead. Now, that's my job. I'm a, I'm a highway engineer, and what we do is ensure that our roads are properly signed. Now, you can think of white lines, maybe speed restrictions, those sorts of things, but I'm thinking of those big blue signs on the top of the motorway. You know, the one that says, this is the road you're on, this is where you're going. And if there's a turn off, it says, well, this is where you're going to end up. Big blue signs. You know the ones. Uh, if you're on the M3, it'll say, M3, London. So it'll be quite specific. Sometimes it's a little bit more general. It might say, A1, the north. Or it might say, M4, the west. Best of all, it'll say, M4, Wales. Now, the land of my fathers. Well, that, yeah. So, like the highway engineer, though, the Lord, God, clearly sets out what the road is and where the road is going. It's rather a simple affair in this psalm, of course, because there's only two roads and only two destinations. There's the way of the Lord, which leads to the life well lived that we'll read in verse 3, whereas the way of the world over here, well, that leads to judgment and exclusion in verses 4 and 5. So, firstly, having considered the happy man meditating on the law of the Lord, the psalmist runs straight into what the life of that happy man actually is going to look like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. So the psalmist is painting a picture of the life well lived. Notice that the happy person is planted by streams of water, the law of the Lord, which nourish this person and enables him to be fruitful. The fruits here are produced in season, and they could refer to character, maybe the consequences of one's life. And the idea here is that there's a proper time for fruitfulness. Fruit might take time to grow and ripen, but the tree is vibrant and healthy as the streams of water ensure that the leaves don't wither and that the fruit will come. And all he does prospers, which in this context is likely to reflect the fact that this person, he's steeped in scripture, he's walking in the way of the Lord, and if he's walking in the way of the Lord, his plans and God's plans are likely to coincide. They're bound to prosper. Whatever he does prospers doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be prosperous, which is more likely to be one of the requirements of happiness in the way of the world. So the picture of the tree here is, is attractive, and, and we imagine a life well-lived, fruitful and rewarding. And it is so because the tree has a steady source of nourishment, streams of water, the law of the Lord. The challenge, challenge maybe to us is whether we would say, well, to those of us who say we're following God's way, is whether we are planted as we should be. How deep are our roots? Are our leaves green? Are we meditating on the law of the Lord? Can we say that we delight in it? Does our med meditation of scripture result in fruit? But some of you might know that this is not a description of you at all. You, you can't see this in you at all. The law of the Lord for you is perhaps a closed book. Your search for happiness 
and meaning has taken you down some rabbit holes, some dead ends, as you search for happiness in this world. Happiness is fleeting. You think you have it in your grasp, and then it slips away, leaving you feeling empty again and looking for the next thing. Well, that sounds like the way of the world. Where will that take us? What does the signpost tell us? Have a look in verses 4 to 6. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the wicked, remember, if you remember, are those who live life without reference to God and they follow the way of the world. And the psalmist tells us that they are like chaff. Now, I don't know if you know what chaff is. The picture here is the pre-industrial farmer winnowing his, his wheat. That's to say he's throwing the wheat in the air. He's throwing the grains in the air so that the husk and the straw, the chaff, is blown away, leaving just the grains of wheat to fall to the ground. So the chaff is worthless. It's blown away. It's the very opposite of that tree. It's light, it's unsubstantial, it's good for nothing. It's blown away by the wind. And the wicked and the sinner have no substance because they have no regard for God. They would rather mock him than worship him. Therefore, says the psalmist, the wicked will not stand in the judgment and will be excluded from the people of God. Interestingly, the word therefore in verse 5 shows that this is not an arbitrary judgment. It's the logical conclusion of a life that's lived away from the Lord. It's a logical conclusion of the choice to follow the way of the world and to ignore the way of the Lord. So in the end, the wicked, the way of the world, will perish. That is, that their road comes to nothing. It's a road to nowhere. And when that happens, we shouldn't be surprised. It's been clearly signposted here by the psalmist. So, where can we go from here? Well, we know that happy people avoid the advice of all of those whose, whose thoughts, in their thoughts, have no room for God. We know that happy people don't behave like those who please themselves and disregard God. And we know that happy people are not those who are at home with those who mock belief and mock our Lord. In brief, happy people don't follow the way of the world. Rather, happy people follow the law of the Lord, the word of God, and they delight in it. And if you notice in verse 6, the Lord watches over their way. The idea here is that the Lord knows their way, he's with them on that way, and that their final destination is to be with the assembly of the righteous. But what about the wicked? Well, they're, they're not these people who do terrible things. They're just people who in all their thoughts have no room for God, who go their own way. But it's a way that will lead to nothing. It's a life of no substance. And before the Lord on the final day, they will have nothing to stay, no leg to stand on. Their choice has been made, and there'll be no place for them amongst God's people. So how, how, do we, how do we respond to this, this psalm? Well, 
you might be thinking that surely this is a little bit too simplistic, isn't it? Too black and white. What about the prosperous wicked? What about the, the suffering believer? Well, it's true that this psalm doesn't deal with real-life struggles, but what it does do is give us a basic working principle. There's a whole load of psalms that are going to wrestle with, with difficult situations where the righteous are suffering and the wicked are prospering. This psalm sets out the basic choice we have to make at the start. Does it follow the way of the Lord or follow the way of the world? Now, there's more to be said for sure in the psalms about these things, and there's much more to be said in Psalm 2. So come back here next week, same place, same time. But perhaps you, you, you recognize that you haven't given room to God in your life. Perhaps you feel that your life is a bit chaff-like. It has no meaning, it's light, no lasting, solid happiness. Well, if you feel like you are with the sinners on a road to nowhere, you don't have to stay there. Because we read in the New Testament that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the story of every believer. That's my story. Every Christian has been on the road away from God. We've all been one of the wicked on that road to nowhere. And we've had to stop, we've had to turn around, do a U-turn, and get back onto the road, the way of the Lord. And we do that by repenting, that's turning around from following our own way to follow God's way. And we do that by believing on Christ, who lived and died and rose again so that we could be forgiven, but also that we could be given a new life, eternal life, life to the full as Jesus says in the Gospel of John. So your way is not fixed. And Christ tells us to follow him, as he is the way, the truth, and the life. And remember that happy people meditate on God's word. So why not read a gospel? Think on who Jesus was, what he said, what he did. Uh, the Gospel of John might be a good place to start. But perhaps you're saying, I get all this and I believe. How do I respond? Well, we keep going, don't we? We keep meditating on God's word. This is what happy people do throughout their life. It's, it's a pattern for life. It's what keeps happy people rooted and growing and fruitful. So as you ponder God's words, the roots go deeper, the leaves stay green, and the fruit grows and ripens. And in the end, you'll be welcomed into the assembly of the righteous. Let me finish with a prayer. Father, we thank you for providing us a way of living a happy life. We thank you, Father, for this psalm that teaches, teaches us the way to live a good life. Father, we, we thank you for your word, which brings us to you, that allows us to, to know you, to commune with you, to meet with you, that teaches us of Jesus and how he is the way to you. Father, we pray that you would keep us from the way of the world, from chasing happiness the way the world does. Father, help us to meditate on your word and to be like this tree planted by streams of water. And Father, if we're on the wrong path, pray, Father, that you would turn us from that path. Pray, Father, that you would help us to, to turn to you for forgiveness and for new life in Christ. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.